John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. The word of the Lord. Would the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be pleasing in your sight? Would you open the ears of your people so that we might hear, open our eyes so that we can see, uh, and open up our lives so that we can follow Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, every once in a while, uh, I get to do some premarital counseling, and Monica and I uh, have gone through it with some couples, some premarital counseling. And one of the things that we tell engaged couples to do, to consider, uh, is making a last will and testament, right? We're like, on your honeymoon, stop by the lawyer's office and pick up a last will and testament. Uh, and, you know, we say in the first couple of years of marriage, it's just a smart thing to do. So why do we do that? Why do we go through the process? It's kind of a, a pain to go into the office and talk to a lawyer and get everything worked out. Well, if you die, it can make a difficult time a lot easier on your family. Uh, you, you essentially say, all right, this is what I want done with my assets if I die. Um, and you don't leave it up to the bank to decide like where your house and everything should go. You also want good things to happen, right? It's not that you just want to prevent bad things. You want to invite good things to happen. You want to uh, be a blessing to those that you love, your family members, maybe your friends, nieces, nephew, grandchildren. You want to bless them uh, as you leave them. Now, in our passage today, in John chapter 17, we're, we're almost reading Christ Jesus' last will and testament, his, his prayer, his final words for his disciples. Our sermon title is Jesus Prayed for His Disciples. This section right here, verses 6 through 19, are all about the disciples. 
And he doesn't leave like earthly possessions for his disciples. He doesn't leave his carpentry business. <laughs> he doesn't leave the family home or his cloak and his staff. Instead, he leaves a prayer for them. He leaves his father's will for them. He asks God for three things. We call them three petitions. And I want to briefly go over these. We're going to talk more about them. But the first petition that he asks is that they would not be at odds but as one. We see this in John 17, 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Then he prayed that the, his disciples would not be of the world, not be of it, but in it. John 17, 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And third, that they would not be swept away, but set apart. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So there's so much in John chapter 17. We could be here for a long time, but I've decided to narrow down today's message to the three things Jesus specifically prays for his disciples. And hopefully that will give us a better understanding of John 17 overall. Now, why is this important for you 2,000 years later? Jesus is, is praying a specific prayer for his 12 followers. And you're sitting here in 2017 wondering, what does this have to do with me? Well, the Bible calls Jesus our intercessor. Now, the Holy Spirit is also our intercessor, but Jesus is our intercessor. And that means, like, right now, in heaven, <laughs> Jesus is talking to the Father on our behalf. And if you can listen in and ask, you know, what sort of things is Jesus saying to the Father on my behalf and on the behalf of all of his disciples and all of his followers right now, wouldn't you want to know what he's saying? I would want to know. And so I think we can get a pretty good idea of, of the types of things Jesus prays for us in this moment right now by looking at what he prayed for his disciples 2,000 years ago. So the first thing I think Jesus prays for us to be is not at odds, but as one. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, the name we just sang about, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is praying that, that their unity would be protected, that we would be united. Would they be, would they be one as we are one? Well, how are the Father and the Son one? Well, as we look at scriptures, we see that they are one God, but they're distinct persons, right? They have their own minds and wills, and yet somehow those things come together so that they're unified. One God, there's three persons, but they work together. And we see this actually described earlier in the Last Supper in John, in John chapter 14. The Last Supper is from John 13 through 17. John 14, 10, Jesus is saying this. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Somehow, Jesus is spiritually united with his Father even as he walks this earth. He lives in the Father. The Father lives in him. 
And Jesus is praying that somehow his disciples, his followers, would experience a little bit of that same spiritual unity. Would they be one as we are one? In other words, Father, would you live in them and would you work through them? See, I really believe Jesus is praying here that that his disciples, yes, would be unified, but they would be unified through the Father. They would be unified through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through the name of Jesus. They wouldn't be unified just because they decided, hey, we're going to get together, we're going to form institutions and organizations, and we're just going to make it work. No, he's praying that we would be unified together through our relationship with God, through our relationship with the Father and with Christ. Now, what's that key word? It's the word with. That as we go through ministry, as we go through life, we would walk with the Father. That as we worship, we would do so with the Holy Spirit. That's what Christianity is, right? Christianity is a relationship. It's a communion. It's about being with the Father through the Son. Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. See, it's the true name, it's the name of Jesus that unites us, isn't it? Earlier in verse 6, Jesus says this, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. In the original language, and it might actually say it in like a little footnote on your, in your Bible, I have, it, it literally says, I have revealed your name. I have revealed your name, Father, to my disciples. Jesus has somehow revealed the name of God, of his heavenly Father, to any that know him, any that trust him and seek to obey him. But why does the true name of God matter? Well, what if I came up to you, Amanda, and I said, hey, Bob, <laughs> how's it going? You having a good day, Bob? I really hope you're having a good day. You would say, well, you don't know me. <laughs> you're not in relationship with me. You're not even very nice. <laughs> and so we want to know the true name of God, don't we? A name reveals someone's identity, someone's character. Remember last week when we talked about Moses and he asked God to show him his glory? Well, God actually walked by and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, but he also reveals his name. He says, he says, the name, the theme of the name throughout the Old Testament and into the New is an amazing one. Because there were thousands of years that people didn't know the name of God, then he revealed himself, and he's revealed himself once again, even more clearly, in Jesus. Names are important. Right? They allow us to know someone. They unite us when we're, when we're kind of at odds. A name can bring us together as a church, but also in our, our individual lives. I have a lot of uh, friends right now that are, are pregnant, and they tell me kind of about naming their baby, naming their, their firstborn. And the story sometimes goes like this. You know, so let's say they haven't decided to reveal the gender. They don't know what gender this baby is going to be. And so one says, you know, if we have a boy, 
the wife says, if we have a boy, I'm really excited to name him Jackson. Like, I, I really want to name him Jackson. But my husband has a different opinion. If we have a boy, my husband really wants to name him Lancelot. <laughs> Isn't that silly? And the husband's like, no, Lancelot is a great name. It's the name of a knight. Why don't you want, don't you want our kid to be noble? <laughs> and then they like read through like a thousand baby names, right? And they come to a name. And then you ask them a little bit later, you're like, we picked out a name. We're excited about this name. And you ask them, what is it? And they say, well, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> we're hiding it until the baby arrives, right? Somehow they have been, they were like disunified. They were, they were on opposite ends and they've been brought together through a name. How much more we as a church, when when we are pulling opposite directions, when we want our own way, and we say, no, we want the name of Jesus. The, the book of Revelation paints this beautiful picture when it says that people from all tribes and languages and tongues, they'll be worshiping Jesus. They'll be worshiping the Father. Jesus unites <laughs> like no other name. Did you know that the name Jesus so it's the Greek form of a, a Hebrew name. The Hebrew name is Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh saves. Now, for those of you that might not know, Yahweh is the Old Testament kind of covenant promise name of God. God reveals himself to his people as Yahweh. They're in relationship with Yahweh. This is a holy name. Jewish people don't often speak this name. This is the name of God, and yet Jesus comes along and he gives us another name that is the same name and more, more clearly, more specifically, somehow reveals God's name, God's identity, Christ Jesus. The name of Jesus unifies us in worship, it unifies us in ministry, it unifies us in life. And I want to compare like two sentences to you, and the first sentence is, I want my way. Uh, I've said this, maybe you've said this, maybe you're saying it right now, I want my way. But this sentence, right, this heart pattern, however it's said, in whatever language it's said, is like the source of every conflict, right? Uh, I can't get along with my husband or I can't get along with my wife. I want my way. <laughs> I'm mad at my parents. I'm not going to listen to them. I want my way. I'm, 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 I'm frustrated at work. People just can't see it the way I see it. The way I see it is better. I want my way. I'm really frustrated with those other Christians, those other Christians who are hurting me with the best of intentions. I want my way. Well, when we want our way, when we focus on ourselves and when we take the name of Jesus out of our life, out of our ministry, even out of our daily decisions, that, that can reflect poorly on Christ somehow. <laughs> As people know that we're Christians and followers of him. Well, is there another way? How about this other sentence? I want the way of Jesus. This changes everything, how I view conflict, how I view discouragement, how I view disagreement. I can't agree with my wife. Well, I, I, I want the way of Jesus. So I humble myself. 
When my parents make me upset, I want the way of Jesus, and so I choose to obey them even when I don't feel like it. When I'm having a hard time at work, I want the way of Jesus, so I value my coworkers and their opinions above my own. When I'm upset about the decisions other Christians and other believers have made, I want the way of Jesus, even if it's not clear that they want the way of Jesus. And I know that the way of Jesus is simply to trust him in this moment and obey him. And so I walk forward by faith. And notice, I didn't write, I want Jesus' way. Because <laughs> sometimes we can come in and say, well, Jesus, ha- Jesus wants it this way, which happens to be my way. <laughs> That's kind of convenient for me. The way of Jesus, the way of Christ, is what he reveals to us in his word, his scriptures, humbling ourselves, following him. So let's pray for each other. Let's pray for each other that our hearts would want the way of Jesus. That we would resist wanting our way. (laughs) And I'm sure we'll all have an opportunity to try this this week. (laughs) When I want my way, how can I want the way of Christ? Now, how do we do this? It's by wanting a relationship with Jesus. It's by wanting a relationship with the Father. See, it's as we walk with the Father day by day that we begin to lay down our rights and our wants and say, I want the name of Jesus to be glorified in this situation, in this moment. Not just when we sing worship songs at Cornerstone, which is lovely and awesome and I love it. But I want the way of Jesus on Tuesday afternoon when I'm having a hard time with my coworker. I want the way of Christ then. And I believe that this is Jesus' prayer for us. That we would not be at odds, but we would be as one. That we'd be as one through the Father. Not at odds, but as one. Now what else did Jesus want? What else did Jesus pray for? He prayed that we would not be of it, but in it. Not of the world, but in the world. John 17, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. First, Jesus wants us to be unified, but then Jesus wants us to be unified in a certain time and a certain place. Tim Brister explains the world like this. I have a a quote for us. Christians are in the world in the sense that they occupy the same space, go to the same markets, and interact in the same society as non-Christians. They're not people who form their own subcultures or ghettos to avoid the world. They recognize where God has placed them and do not run from that reality. They are relatable, accessible, and approachable to those in the world in normal, ordinary ways. Friend, neighbor, coworker, classmate, teammate. So we're called to be of the world, <laughs> to be in the world, but not of it. And just like those disciples are called, in, in verses 6 and 8, we see the disciples, like kind of what distinguishes them is that they accept the, the teachings of Jesus Christ as God's teachings and they obey. That's really what a disciple is, right? Someone who accepts the teachings of Jesus Christ, the teachings of the scripture as God's way, and seek to obey. But how does the world feel about this? Like, is the world great and happy with this? Well, the world is really all of those who reject the teachings of Jesus and so disobey because they're rejecting the teachings of God. John 17, 14, I have given them your word 
and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So we see two priorities here, right? Jesus wants us to be in the world, but he doesn't want the world to control or define us. The world will not like the teachings of Christ. But the good news is, the gospel is that even in this situation, Jesus is going to rescue many. John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's looking next uh, forward one week to next week's text. I thought it spoke to our message today that Jesus is going to rescue some out of this world that hates us and this world that, that it's so easy to be of the world. It's so easy to kind of fit in. Yet we're not to be of it, we're to be in it. As a believer, as a Christian, I think this is one of the hardest things we are called to do. See, we're, we're not called to just have friendships with Christians. We're actually called to form meaningful relationships with non-Christians out in the world. But at the same time we're doing that, we're to be willing to be rejected because of the message of Jesus Christ, as we share the truth of the scriptures, believing that Jesus will rescue some, that 1720 will come true. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. <laughs> I want to be out there, I want to be among my non Christian friends, but I fear rejection. I can think of probably a dozen times over the last couple of years when I have had opportunities to be more bold, be more faithful in my witness about Jesus, and I haven't taken them because I was afraid, because I got nervous. <laughs> I guess it's my prayer that as I keep trying and as that we keep trying, that, that somehow Jesus would be honored in the struggle, <laughs> and that for every dozen failures, we have that Christ would give us like one success. <laughs> I will take that ratio. And I have a kind of a, a name that I've been thinking about like what it means to be of the world but not, to be in the world but not of it. Uh, and I call it messy discipleship. <laughs> Where you're trying to get out there, you're trying to share the message of Jesus and you actually have to get outside your comfort zone. Messy discipleship, to me, and what I, what I see is it's, it's risking getting dirty for the sake of Christ. Messy discipleship is risking getting dirty for the sake of Christ. Messy discipleship is when you get invited to your non-Christian friend's party, uh, and you're nervous about going because you know there's going to be a lot of drinking, and they're probably going to get drunk, and you want to honor Jesus in that. Uh, but you go anyways because you just want to spend time with them. Messy discipleship is when you form friendships with universalists who assume that you believe exactly what they believe. <laughs> and you take the time to ask them questions even more about what they believe. Messy discipleship is when you invite your gay neighbors over or that other transgender student to have dinner in your home and you risk what your kids might say or ask and could make the evening a little bit awkward. <laughs> That's messy discipleship. But Jesus came to eat and drink with sinners, to call the unrighteousness to salvation. 
I just want to share like a brief like personal illustration of trying to work what it, out what it means to be of the world, in the world, but not of it. Um, it's not the best example, but this week my, my non-Christian friends, some of them invited me to go see a movie. And I looked at the movie and I was like, oh, I don't know if I would normally go see this movie. This isn't something that I, I would usually be interested in. So I looked at what it was about. I watched a trailer. I was like, oh, man, I, I, I don't know about this. But I prayed about it and I thought about it. And I took some time to say, okay, I'm going to go because I want to be with them, right? If I say no, what happens then? So if I say no, well, maybe the next time they'll say, well, let's not invite Jonathan. He's not going to go. <laughs> took some time to pray, Father, like, I'm going to go watch this movie. It might have some objectionable content. Would you protect me, right? Jesus doesn't say take them out of the world. He says protect them from the evil one. And so that was my prayer. Father, protect me from sin as I go out into the world. Now, don't use this as like a ticket to go watch whatever you want after, after church. That's not the, the point of the illustration. And I went and had watched the movie, and it was actually a much better movie than I thought. Um, and we had a little bit of conversation about it afterwards, and there was a scene that really um, exemplified forgiveness. And that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the story. It's not the greatest story in the world, but it's trying to be in the world, but not of it. And see, as we do this, as we wade out into situations or circumstances that make us uncomfortable, what do we have to do? We have to pray. We have to get on our knees and ask God for his wisdom and strength and help. And notice, we're not relying on ourselves in these situations. As we go out into the world, we have to ask, ask the Holy Spirit, would you help me here? Messy discipleship is the opposite of clean discipleship. Clean discipleship allows me to wash my hands of the whole thing. I know I'm okay. Like I know I'm sin-free. I know I'm, I'm perfect. I'm spotless because I'm not in the world. <laughs> I'm, I've taken myself out of the world. I'm not even going to be around sinners because they make me uncomfortable. But in clean discipleship, we actually count on ourselves for our own righteousness, don't we? We say, I'm going I'm to depend on my actions to make me clean before God. In messy discipleship, as we go out into the world, we have to say, Jesus, I could blow something here. I could mess this up. And so I'm going to depend on your righteousness and your forgiveness and your grace instead of my own cleanliness. <laughs> this is what the gospel is. Finding our righteousness in Christ in the world instead of outside of it. And I think as we do this, as we struggle, we actually become a little bit more like Christ. We become a little bit more sanctified. And this leads me to Jesus' third petition. That we would not be swept away, but we would be set apart. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart. And Jesus is praying that we would be differentiated from the world. So let's summarize so far. Jesus is praying that we would be united through a relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. And that we would be out in the world, but that we would be different than the world. That we would stick out of the world. That people would know that there's something different about us. 
It's like the father is picking us up and putting us down on a boulder in the middle of a raging river, (laughs) saying, I hope you're not swept away. And so we ask ourselves, am I going to go down in the torrent? Am I going to go down in the mud, in the darkness? Am I going to get swept into this thing? Well, we're set apart as we stand on the word. Your word is truth. See, the word of God is solid ground. We won't be swept away as we cling to the scriptures, to what God has taught us. It's as we hold fast to the message that Jesus gave those disciples that we're still holding fast tonight and on a, on a Wednesday night when you're seeing a movie with friends. It's as we hold fast to that that we're not swept away and that we grow to be more like Christ. I believe that Jesus uses this combination. He uses the combination of holding fast to the word while being in the world to set us apart, to make us more like Christ. If you look at verses 15 through 16, Jesus talks about being in the world. And then in verse 17, he talks about being sanctified, being set apart. And then in verse 18, he talks about being in the world. And then in verse 19, he talks about being sanctified again. There's this rich going back and forth from being in the world, being set apart, being in the world, growing to be more like Christ. There's a connection there about being sent and being sanctified. It's as we're sent and as we cling to the scriptures, to Christ Jesus, that we become set apart for Christ. And so we have to have a heart check, don't we? If we believe the best way to become set apart and sanctified is to read God's word and then stay out of the world, to stay away from non-Christians, then I think we need to call ourselves to repentance. To say, I'm sorry. I've, I've blown it. I've been doing it wrong. I, I've been reading your word. I just haven't been obeying your word. Jesus calls us not to retreat, but to risk ourselves for the sake of redemption. Why do we risk ourselves? Well, it's because at Christmas, (laughs) Jesus risked himself for us. He came down into this world to give us that rock that we can look to. He, He is the light that entered into our darkness. And he allowed himself at the cross to be swept away in the torrent, to drown in the darkness, to be consumed by the blackness. So that three days later he could rise from the grave. And so that one day you could follow him out of the grave. So you put your faith in Christ. That you could follow him into the light. Where there's hope. Where there's a solid foundation. As we repent and as we put our faith in Christ, we receive his goodness. We receive his righteousness. This out of the world righteousness so that we don't need to be worried about being in the world because because our state is with God. It's with Christ Jesus and he's in heaven and it is a supernatural heavenly goodness that God has put on us. And so we can boldly go out into the world because we are in fact from out of this world through Christ Jesus. So as we think about all that Jesus is praying for us, I kind of want to summarize us. He's, he's praying for us to not be swept away, but to be set apart. I think we can kind of summarize it like this. As we're with the Father, so as we're in relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, as we're with the Father, let's pray to stand out in the world. 
Let's pray to stand out in the world as we're with the Father, as we're in relationship with him. A couple weeks ago, um, a friend at my CrossFit gym asked why I became a pastor. (laughs) Uh, And I told her, you know, I wasn't very happy in my old job, bank examination, finance, and I felt like God called me to be a pastor. Like God called me to do this thing, to go to seminary. And, you know, the conversation continued from there. But honestly, I wasn't very content with my answer (laughs) because God can mean anything in our culture, right? We live in New England. God can be whoever you want him to be. Like, I really wish I'd I'd just been like, well, Christ Jesus called me to pick up my cross and follow him. I don't know how well that would have worked in that situation. Then I asked her, do you know any other pastors? And she said, no. And another girl said, actually, I don't know. You're the only one I know, too. You're kind of cool. (laughs) I might have embellished that a little bit. (laughs) And the the third, it was a variation of that. Uh, And the third said, well, you know, uh, I I was friends with a universalist Unitarian pastor. And then I, I actually had a realization out of this. I am probably the only pastor most of these people in this gym, most of the people on my front line know. And I hope that you'll walk away with a realization tonight that you may very likely be the only true follower of Jesus Christ that your front line, that the people around you that do not know Jesus know. And that Jesus has purposely placed you in their lives so that you can tell them about Jesus. (laughs) And that scares me (laughs) because it's a lot easier to talk about Christ up here behind the podium than it is out there in the world. And guys, we're all in this together. And so as you do feel the fear, pray. Pray that you would be not of the world, but in the world. Pray that like, we would be doing this together, that we would be in uni- unified in relationship with the Father. And pray that we wouldn't be swept away, but that we would stand firm on the word of Christ. And then just go forward unafraid. As we're with the Father, let's pray to stand out in the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power. Thank you for being with us through Christ and through your Holy Spirit here tonight. Lord, we want to be with you. We want to be with Jesus. We want to commune with him. Help us do this. Please bless the offering, take it, multiply it, and use it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.